This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martorano. I hope you're finding us here on Saturdays. We talk about the disease of addiction and the many, many ways to live a sober life. There is help out there. The whole thing is sponsored by Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, and we'll tell you more about them straight ahead. You know, uh, the before we get to our guest and I introduce you uh, to her, um, the, the term epidemic is thrown around uh, widely now. This problem, the substance abuse problem the country is facing, has finally now, at, uh, for obvious reasons, bubbled up into the consciousness of the whole culture. And we use the word epidemic widely and it certainly is. We've been using that word because it accurately describes the situation because uh, this situation, this problem is not going away and uh, tragically uh, is not even close to peaking. Uh, I would uh, recommend that if you have not yet seen the article that ran earlier in the week in the New York Times, there are numbers um, about the death toll of substance abuse in this country that are staggering. The headline from the New York Times story is Bleak New Estimates in Drug Epidemic, a record 72,000 overdose deaths in 2017. That, that's a breathtaking number. Uh, the, there's a lot of data in this article that I won't go into um, all the details of, but that number, 72,000 Americans who died last year, represents, and this is this is terrible, a rise of around 10% last year in the number of deaths. Death toll of this disease is now uh, higher on a yearly ra- death rate than those totals from HIV, car crashes, or gun deaths. So progress is being made on many fronts. Lots of people are now called to get involved in this, and we're going to talk about one of those efforts that's underway, uh, but but we're nowhere near uh, getting ahead of the curve on the substance abuse epidemic and the death toll uh, on this disease. So uh, it's worth reminding, even though the news is uh, very bad. But as I said, that, it has, in one perverse sense, uh, attracted our attention. I mean, this has been, you know, the, the real smack in the face to this uh, country about the problems and the dimensions of it. Substance abuse is a big and unfortunately growing problem in this country. So um, to that end, we bring people on the program and they talk about what they're doing. We have clinicians on, we have people give their firsthand accounts of of their struggles with substance abuse and their sobriety. And uh, we bring lots of experts in the field. And I think we have one today. In fact, I know we do. Donna Pellegrino is our guest. Donna joins us from uh, from New England, where, where she is based. Donna is vice president of provider development for a company called Map Health Management. And as I said, lots of people have now been mobilized to get involved in uh, fighting this disease. And certainly her company is uh, one of those. And they're in a really interesting kind of, I think, leading edge um, in, in the effort of tracking uh, the disease and the treatment. That's what we're going to focus on with Donna Pellegrino today, getting our heads around treatment and what do we mean when we talk about treatment and how do we measure its success and um, in an effort, as I said, to to raise the stakes and let everybody know we're in this together. We welcome Donna Pellegrino to the program. Donna, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, I mean, those numbers I just read from the Times, they, they don't surprise you, do they? No, not at all. But um, I will say that if you are not currently touched by addiction yourself or know somebody who is struggling with addiction, 
Um, you may be completely unaware that this is happening around you. This is happening in your own town. Nobody is immune to it. Um, tell so, us a little before you get into that because I know what you I know your story. You're going to tell because it's so familiar to mine. But tell us about you first. How did you get involved in in this healthcare field? Well, I've been in healthcare for 25 years. I have a master's in counseling uh, from. Um, uh, well, eons ago, um, but I have a master's in counseling, and I've been in healthcare, uh, you know, in different segments of healthcare in the um, hospital system, visiting nurse, uh, senior living, um, and most recently in the past several years within the addiction field. Before you got into the field, what was your um, knowledge of or relationship to this disease? I mean, how, where did you fit nada. in the scheme of things? Nada. So I grew up in a small town. Uh, beach town in, in New Hampshire, and I uh, I knew nobody who uh, struggled with addiction. There was nobody in my family, uh, friends, community. Nobody I knew of was struggling with addiction. It was foreign to me. Um, I kind of was, I sheepishly admit this, that um, I always thought, oh, that's the other side of the tracks. You know, they've probably got a, some, some crazy backstory, family system. Um, yeah, I'm just going to kind of stay away. Uh, and, as, and as life would have it, in 2014, um, I was interviewed for a treatment center up in Massachusetts, and uh, they were in the addiction field. And um, through my work with uh, Spectrum Health Systems and through the radio show that I launched and hosted up there called Airing Addiction, um, I did lots of interviews with families and people struggling with addiction and people within treatment and law enforcement um, and uh, authors, uh, I, Sam Quinones, I interviewed, um, and uh, from the book Dreamland. Mm, we've, had, we've had Sam on the show, yeah. Awesome interview. Um, and and I learned that people struggling with addiction are no different than anybody else. This is not, you know, they're bad people. This is not a moral failing. There are reasons, the causes of addiction, and and when people get better and when they get into recovery, I, I acknowledge through my work on the radio show, that these are people that I would want as my best friend, not somebody I would say the other side of the tracks, my best friend. These are people who would have your back in an instant. These are people who are grateful for every moment that they're living in life. And that is not something I can say for the general population. Yeah. You know, the, your, your story echoes mine uh, uh, almost exactly. I did the uh, same situation. It wasn't in my life. I didn't know anybody. Real well. I mean, I knew one or two guys that were on the wagon, but nobody ever talked about substance abuse. And then I became aware of the existence of it and then how broad it was. I was drawn by the human stories of it, which is why we created the radio program. But you, I think before we went on the air, you told me a story about you, you had to have an acquaintance or a friend who's, who sort of so whispered to you they had a problem. So, yeah. So I think uh, people don't come to – you know, talk about it openly. There's a lot of shame and stigma still around addiction. So even though I thought there was nobody inside my inner circle who had struggled with addiction, my 16-year-old daughter's uh, friend, who she hung out with all the time, the mom came to me and said, Donna, uh, I see your post on Facebook. I know you're working in the field. My fiance is struggling with addiction. 
And, uh, you know, I helped get him in and and get treatment. And, 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 you know, sometimes that's all it takes is the first phone call. When you are struggling, your head is a mess. And don't expect that you can figure it out on your own. You really need to reach out to someone, whether it is a treatment center, whether it's a church, whether it is a a teacher. You just need to reach out to somebody. Um, But anyway, this my 16-year-old daughter's uh, mom came to me and said her boyfriend was struggling. Um, And then later, she told me that she was struggling with addiction. So even though you think you're immune and there's nobody in your community struggling, you may be surprised. Yeah. Well, it was was a real wake-up call uh, for me. And I think now the, the country is sort of in the same situation. Oh, my God. This is happening across the street and at work and, and, and at school, and we can no longer act like it, as you said, it's happening to other people in the bad part of town. No, we can't close our eyes to it. Yeah. No. And, and you know what? It may be happening in your company. You may be the CEO of a company, and you have to deal with you know, employees struggling with addiction, their family members struggling with addiction. So even though you may not be dealing with it yourself, there are aspects of your life that, of course, you're dealing with it. We're going to get into uh, more detail about what you're, you're new in this, in this position I with this company. I am brand new. Yeah. I'm, I started July 1st. And we're going to get into the details of, of MAP Health, but briefly, what, what's, the, what's the mission? So MAP is dedicated to improving outcomes for the millions of people suffering with substance use disorder every single year. Um, So we are focused on what works, um, tracking what works, staying engaged with clients, talking to them on a long-term basis. This is a chronic disease, so we need to stay connected to clients on a long-term basis. That's what we do. We stay connected long-term, and we track what works. So... And, and again, well, the, the details are ahead. But one of the things people ask, I guess, and, and I want I want to uh, delve into this deeper in the next couple of segments, is when we talk about treatment, we talk about, well, is it successful? Is that the proper way to be thinking about this, success of treatment? I really wish that word was stricken completely from the vernacular of this field. Yeah, why? Well, because it's too vague and it's not useful. What does success mean? I mean, if we're talking about a percentage of abstinence, yeah, that there's a there's a, a statistic there, but um, there are so many different degrees by which to measure success. So many different aspects and domain of domains of a person's life that um, that is suffers as a result of addiction. Staying abstinent. We we know people who are dry drunks. That doesn't mean they're living a good life. Right. Abstinence alone is not the only indicator to success. Yeah. It's and and it's it's obvious. It's the most obvious. Um, That's where it begins. Right. I, I mean, you can't get a foothold and start improving not, everything else in your life until you begin at a point of abstinence. But it's not the end all be all. No, and it's not. The, it's not anywhere near the entire story of this. When uh, we come back with Anna, we'll get deeper into. Uh, the, the the right way to think about uh, the success a more useful way you know, more useful way more a more efficient way uh, and uh, take a little bit uh, take take a look at the you know what the industry is doing as a whole uh, to to try to measure the efficacy of what they do all of that ahead on this edition of Recovery Radio with our guest Donna Pellegrino welcome back to Recovery Radio Steve Martorano with you I hope you're finding us here on Saturdays uh, we're here and we're talking about the disease of addiction, and, and the, the many paths to recovery. Our guest this week is Donna Pellegrino. Donna is, uh, is in town um, as a representative 
of her company, Map Health Management, where uh, Donna is the uh, vice president of provider development. We'll tell you all about. They're doing some interesting stuff with regard to to this disease. Um, Donna, let's t- let's talk now, as we did there towards the end of that segment, about uh, treatment. And I made that point that nobody's ready for this disease. It, it, it arrives unannounced. It, it devastates you. And, and at the worst moment of people's lives, they have to make extraordinarily difficult decisions about what to do, even even if this is this is assuming they can break through the shame and stigma and start to actively look for help. But where do they turn? What do they do? Well, they'll go online. They'll Google places near me, and they'll get a whole list of uh, of places that, that will, will treat the disease of addiction. When we talk about successful treatment, what are we talking about in your, in your opinion? First of all, you made a great point about moms and dads. Usually it is the mom making the decision or the woman making the decision for her husband about where do I go for treatment. And as you mentioned, we're struck with this at a time we're not prepared for. Nobody's ever prepared to know that their loved one is struggling with addiction. So you have to understand that people are entering this in a, in a point of desperation. Um, so there's a lot of bad press around addiction treatment because there's a lot of bad players out there preying upon people's vulnerability and their desperation. And, uh, you know, it's like if you have a, a leaky faucet, if it's just dripping a little bit, eh, you know, I'm going to let it go for a while. But when it's a flood and you're, you're up knee deep in the basement, you're going to pay whatever it takes to get that flood taken care of. And that is a, a perfect metaphor for what we're dealing with in addiction treatment. One of the when we talk about the stigma attached to this disease, there, there are a lot of myths about it that that sort of s- stop people in their tracks. There's some stigma, as you just mentioned, to to the whole notion of treatment and the industry that that provides it. And I think one of the things that stigmatizes treatment is the stories of multiple relapse and people in and out of uh, recovery. How do you help people, or have you had the occasion to help people get past that? And, and, and understand, you know, what a relapse really means. First of all, this is a chronic disease. Relapse is a nature of the disease. It happens just like if you have cancer. You're in remission for a while, and then you, ha- you know, you, you have a spike, and and you're back into treatment again. Just because somebody doesn't, just because somebody relapses, that does not signal failure. That does not mean that treatment wasn't successful. I've talked to many families who have gone into treatment time and time again, and every time they've been in treatment, there was a stepping stone. We learn through failure. I tell folks who go, "Come on, Steve," you know, they relapse dozens of times and then it doesn't work, and I say, "You know what?" Here's what I'll tell you about uh, treatment. It, it works for the people that it works for. And those people that stumble, I'm always struck by the fact that they keep getting back up. I mean, why would you keep failing at something if you really felt it was a failure? You wouldn't. You would just stop doing it altogether. Some people, unfortunately, do do that. But relapse for me has always been not unlike somebody tripping in a race. But you get back up because you want to you finish this. You want to you get to the finish of this thing. But, but, but again, for success. But we'll, yeah, you did, you did talk about that. You know, I, I really wish that this word success was stricken from our vernacular because success, it is too vague. It's not useful. This industry, it's not like orthopedic surgery where you could say, yeah, you broke a bone. We put a cast on it. You're all healed now. Okay, success. 
doesn't work that way in substance use treatment. There are so many variables, way too many variables. We're dealing with the brain. We're dealing with individual people. We're dealing with different drugs, genders, family systems. It is way too complex. So when, when we talk about define success, it is too vague. It's not useful. So if we define success, let's say percent, percentage of abstinence, what percent of your patients are going home and never using again? Okay, you know, there is a statistic there. I would be very cautious of treatment centers who say we have 90 to 100% success. You know what? Ask the questions. Now, success, who did you poll? What questions did you ask? How long did you follow them? This is a chronic disease. If you're asking these questions at the time they leave treatment, you're going to get a very different answer than if you're asking a year down the line. The other thing success conjures up is cure. Well, all medical interventions and treatments seek to cure something or, or at least you know, stop the deadly effects of it. This is different. We're not talking about curing. There anything. is no cure, and and um, so when we look at outcomes, when we look at, I, I, I don't want to use the word success, but for for the purpose of this show, when we define outcomes, we want to look at healthy recovery. That's what we need to be focused on: healthy recovery. And healthy recovery encompasses every aspect of that person's life. It, in, it impacts quality of life. Are they happy? Are they anxious? What do their social relationships look like? How are they taking care of themselves? There's a comorbidities is, is a part is, is a part of uh, addiction. Um, are they seeing a doctor for their depression? Um, are they taking their medications as prescribed? If they've gone to a treatment center and the treatment center does a brilliant job of coming up with a aftercare plan, IOP, medication-assisted treatment, is that client following up? With those um, with those treatment modalities, and if they're not doing that, then you know, not really sure that they're. There's still a ways to go. There's still a ways to go. But one of the things we can do very um, directly is take a look at where the client was when they came into treatment. What was their level of functioning? Were they working? Were they using every day? And what are they doing now? Yeah, that's a really and that ought to be a really obvious metric. You know the shape they're in when you drop them off at the at the facility and six months or a year you know after that as you point out wh- you know where are they now pre and post we need to be looking at pre and post and the addiction field has not come up with very clear guidelines on how we measure outcomes what are the core indicators we're looking at what are the data points that we're looking at and we'll get into i'm sure you'll ask me about the map in in a little bit but um you know i want to step back for a second i uh again i've been in the treatment industry for a while and i was um really uh frustrated by the industry i felt like there was a lot of payer waste spending millions of dollars dumping into the system for a revolving door um not not just public dollars but private dollars as well um insurance company dollars commercial payers and also moms and dads taking the money out of their pocket such incredible waste and I thought there was a lot of provider negligence, not with Spectrum per se, but as an industry, provider negligence. They take care of the client when they come in, they throw them through a spin dry, they offer them maybe some sober housing, and then they're out. Do they ever follow up with that client again? 
there's there's really what we need to be looking at. We need to be expanding our care continuum. This is a chronic disease. We cannot continue to treat it like an acute care illness. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We're going to return to the conversation with our guest, Donna Pellegrino, straight ahead. But this is the time in the proceedings when I remind you that Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. And... Um, it's, it's important because I think we're unique in this regard. Yes, retreat pays the rent here. But this is, and I mean this sincerely, in no way, shape, or form an infomercial for retreat and their facilities. Now, having said that, are they a world-class treatment facility, both here in the Northeast and now in, in Florida as well? Yeah, they are. Their, their reputation is sterling, and you can you know check that out for yourself. If they can help you, and they've helped many people, they can they're not sponsoring the show for that. We are not here to tell you they are the only place in the world you can get sober. Uh, they're here as an informational tool. They're here to do a lot of things our guest, Donna Pellegrino, has been talking about. Separate the good guys from the bad guys. Because the leaders in this field, and retreat is certainly among the leaders in this field, are the most passionate about cleaning up the situation that exists, getting the bad players out of this business, and making it easier for people to choose the right facility. So I give you Retreat's phone number, and I say this every week as well. Um, I hope you never have to use it, and so do the people who run Retreat. But in that moment of um, you know maximum trouble, a phone number like this is, could be a lifesaver. So you call it, ask any questions you have about anything you've heard on this program or anything in your life regarding this, this disease, and the people at Retreat We'll get you the answers. They absolutely will. 855-859-8808. Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. 855-859-8808. From MAP Health Management, their uh, Senior Vice President of Provider Development, Donna Pellegrino, has been our, our guest this afternoon. Donna's going to get deeper into what that company does now. They are um, among the people out there now that are trying to answer some of the questions we've been talking about and make it easier and more effective and more successful for people to get the kind of treatment they may, they need. Donna, before we uh, took the break there, you were, you were talking, we were talking about uh, success and what it means in terms of treatment. How do we measure that? How do we measure the success? First of all, you can't measure success if you can't engage the client. If you're not talking to the client, if they fall off of the radar, you, you can't measure anything. So because this is a chronic disease, we want to look at engaging the client for as long as possible. That is the biggest thing we can do to ensure successful outcomes is long-term engagement. And this is where treatment centers, I don't want to say fall short, but this is where treatment centers need to partner with an organization like MAP to provide that longer-term care continuum. We are a uh, an adjunct. We are a partner too. We don't replace. Um, and in fact, if that client relapses and needs to come back to the treatment center, we have your discharge summary right in our portal. And we call Sally back and we say, Sally, John has really had a hard time. He's fallen off the wagon. He needs to get back into treatment. And he goes back into treatment. Mom is not online at 2 o'clock in the morning Googling, oh my God, John has 
fallen off the wagon. What do I do? Well, this looks great out in um, sunny California. He can swim with the dolphins and ride horses and sleep in 600 count sheets. And that assuages the mom's guilt. So she sends him off to California and spends $30,000 a month. And therein is the, the waste. It's, like, it's just so wasteful. And does it work? No, no, it doesn't work. Treatment really happens in groups of people where you're confronting one another, where you're getting back into the community. So, so I, I just went, went off on a major tangent there because I have lots of opinions on the, um, on the subject, facts and opinions a, a, as well. But how do we measure success? We can't measure unless we stay engaged with the client. So treatment centers need to have that adjunct to their system. And, and you know, I will say, JACO, uh, the Joint Commission um, that accredits treatment centers, CARF is another one too, uh, JACO is now looking at outcomes, going to treatment centers saying, we are not going to give you accreditation unless you can prove outcomes. So now people are coming to MAP saying, help us out. We're doing acute care, but we can't measure outcomes because that's a major, it's a major thing. You have to be calling the clients after the fact. So, so what we do is we engage the client long-term, 12 to 18 months. The insurance companies are now paying us to do that. The insurance companies want, um, you know, they, they want to decrease cost. They want to decrease their clients going to the emergency room. They want to decrease recidivism. It makes sense to the insurance companies to hire us to engage the client long term. Well, there are a lot of stakeholders in the in the in these outcomes. I mean, it's not just the substance abuser and, and their family that benefits from successful or or you know effective treatment but it's the re- it's it's the entire culture that's, that's going right. to benefit if we can keep the criminal justice system it's changed dramatically it's yeah. changed it's changing in uh, a, a multitude of ways so you so how does somebody like uh, map health uh, do that. You call people up, or so, do, yeah, what do you do? Yeah, we have a a group of uh, peers across the country. So it's kind of like a telehealth model. So we have people who have been in long term recovery, at least three years in recovery. They are full time employees of MAP. They get health insurance paid for. Um, they work from home, and they are supervised by our clinical department at MAP Health in Austin, Texas. So we've been around since 2011, and we're based in Austin, Texas. But we have peers across the country. So. Pierce, these are people who are, are in recovery themselves? People who have been in long-term recovery for at least three years. And we drug test them 15 times a year, at least 15 times a year, um, to make sure that they're, that they're not using. So these group of peers who have walked the walk, they understand what early recovery looks like. They... Um, you know, they can guide the person in early recovery in a very non-judgmental, non-punitive way. Not only are we talking to the patients, but this is a family disease. So we're talking to the families too. So our peer is reaching out video conference, Skype, phone calls, at least four times a month for the first 90 days. And we're reaching out to the moms and dads at least twice a month. Mom, dad can call us twice a day if they want. The client can call us you know, as many times as they want. This is a 24-7 um, service that clients can reach out to. Well, what kind of compliance are you getting or cooperation, should I say? from Engagement. Yeah, engagement. Yeah. What, After a year, almost half of the um, primary supports, mom, dad, spouses, and clients are still speaking to us. Half of everybody we engage are still talking to us a year later. They, do they understand this as part of the continuum of treatment or, or do they view it just as – well, these people are doing a survey. How, how are no, they? oh God, that doesn't work. No. You know, you got to engage people conversationally. So interestingly, we've put together. So um, excuse me. So 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 that you you uh, acquire this data, 
over a long period of time. For obvious reasons, the insurance company certainly has a stake in making sure that this stuff works, that they're paying for it. But the uh, client, the substance abuser and the family, they understand your effort as part of the process of getting healthy again. Oh, absolutely. Those peer supports are are critical. Um, We talked earlier about connection um, being the remedy to addiction. So let me stop for a second. I want to get back to to how how we actually do that, how we actually measure the outcomes. But I my most favorite story ever is um, from Johan Hari. He talks about Rat Park. Have you heard the story? Yeah, I have. Okay. So so it was a study done by Bruce Alexander back in the 70s. And uh, he had two cages. He had one empty cage with a rat in it, two bottles of water, drug water, and then regular water. That rat had nothing to do. He's in there and he's sipping on the drug water all day long. What happens? He overdoses and dies. So Bruce says, you know what? Uh, maybe let's, let's try something different. Let's put a bunch of rats in this cage. Let's call it Rat Park. Let's put a bunch of rats in this cage. Spinning wheels, food, uh, lots of playmates in there, lots of sex. The rats are having a grand old time. They're totally engaged in their community, if you will. They Same bottles of water, drug water and regular water. You know, they may have sipped on the drug water a time or two, but they're not interested in that. They sit on the regular water, no overdose deaths. Now, these are rats. These aren't sentient beings. Take a look at Portugal. You know what's going on in Portugal? You know how they, they Portugal totally, uh, how drug, um, the drug problem went down 50% in Portugal because they built out community systems. This is not about legalizing drugs. You have to build a community of engagement. And, and at its core, understanding that the disease of addiction requires connection as the remedy, that's what MAP Health Management is all about. We are a peer recovery system that tracks outcomes. Yes, we track outcomes, but part and parcel of what we do is simply engage the client and and act as a resource. Now, this doesn't replace AA, this does not replace IOP, does not replace outpatient, doesn't even bite into the the outpatient benefits. It's not like, well, if I get onto MAP services, uh, I'm not going to get my IOP. Not true. We work in conjunction with all those systems. Imagine if you're in early recovery, you get out of a treatment center, you're feeling a little squirrely, you know, you don't feel right. Maybe going to an AA meeting and saying, hi, my name is Donna. Uh, actually, I'm not in recovery, so I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm sure Donna, there's what a Donna somewhere who is, though. So, it works. so uh, you know, if you're in early recovery, you may not want to show up to an AA meeting. Um, so talking to your peer on the phone is going to encourage you. You may talk to your peer on the parking lot um, on the way into the AA meeting. You can do it. You just got out of treatment. You're doing so great. You're almost there. Those few words, that little shift can make all the difference. Yeah, you know, and incidentally, that's another data point. <laughs> if they're struggling to get to the AA meeting or if, or if you call and find out that they didn't make it, that's a data point. All of these factor into somebody's uh, likelihood of relapse. Well, it's interesting because we know that data is the big buzzword these days. And um, we, we're, I guess, beginning to understand that you can know things on a on a big level if you look at the if you get down and bore down into the into the nitty-gritty of this thing and that's why that's what this that's what this problem needs it, it needs people really close to the ground to see what actually is uh, is going on how, how do we change a system if we don't know what works exactly, how if, if we're not taking a real good look at it uh, 
Fascinating stuff. It's it's. Uh, I know that the as you pointed out at the very beginning, the good actors in this business, the the people who really want to help other people, um, have got to be um, very positive about what you guys do. They are are they being, the bad guys? Don't want to work with us. They don't want to work with you because you, you're you, liable to show You're only going to work with us if you're going to be transparent about what you do. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We we've had a, a really terrific uh, conversation thus far with our guest Donna Pellegrino about the work she's doing with uh, her company. She's vice president of uh, provider development for MAP Health Management. They are, their mission, uh, simply put, is to improve outcomes for people who are in uh, treatment, to accumulate the data that can demonstrate that, uh, that people are getting the right, the right kind of help uh, with, with treating this disease. Uh, so, Donna, t- talk about, you know, that mission. We're looking to eliminate the gaps in treatment. Um, I shared a story about leaving treatment earlier in my career because I was frustrated with the gaps in treatment. There is um, recovery from addiction requires hand holding. It's kind of like a I liken it to a child um, who's learning to walk. When that child is learning to walk, you kind of you, you got your hands all around him. You know when he's when he's first starting to to stand up, and then little by little you back off. Maybe you have you know one of those long wooden stu- spoons. My dad would kind of hold out, you know, and then you kind of you back off and you're starting to take the pictures more from afar. This is what addiction treatment is like. Treatment inpatient, you got your hands all around the client, then you start to back off, you start to back off, but you're still always you, you're there. So where we are in the process is we're at the end. We're kind of watching you navigate into your community, get back to work, um, establish housing, get your children back maybe, develop those relationships with family members that you lost all those years because you've been lying and stealing and cheating. We are that... Um, that service that 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 the at, at the end of that treatment where people have got their hands all over you and you're trying to navigate the world again that that is what we are at our at our essence. And when you talk about a gap, um, this is you know this disease is often compared to other diseases, um, and sometimes that's a good comparison. Sometimes it's a little weak. They they talk about, for instance, it's it's the same as it's the same. Disease model that a diabetic has. Well, a diabetic can have a gap and then pick back up and maybe and maybe straighten up straighten up their blood sugar level. Gaps in this disease treatment can be because deadly because the organ that is affected in addiction is the brain, and that's why it's so difficult for people to really get their arms around. What do you mean it's a disease? Well, the organ is, is, is affecting the midbrain. It's affecting judgment. It's affecting decisions. It's affecting prioritization. So when somebody has skin cancer, yeah, they, need, they know they need to go for follow-ups. But when somebody is suffering from addiction, things like going for a follow-up, meeting with your primary care physician, those aren't at the top of, your, uh, at the, top of the food chain. So what we do in this peer recovery model is help build human capital. What are your strengths? What are you good at? People will stay engaged in recovery if they have something to lose. So look at the the rates of, um, you know, the physician care models. Um, Physicians, um, you know, who have struggled with addiction, in order to get their license back, they have to stay in a program for at least five years. They do drug tests. They do drug screens. They have the highest rates of success in the industry. Why? Because they have something to lose, because there's long-term engagement. So 
even with the underserved, people who have nothing, who have lost everything, these peers, the, the coaches, if you will, the MAPS coaches will work with people in early recovery to help build up that human capital, help build them up so they have something yeah. to lose. They have a purpose. They need a reason to get out of bed. Well, that that uh, that the sense of something to lose is um, is very interesting because, again, if you don't know a lot about what's going on here with, with this disease, you might find it. Uh, not odd, but uh, curious, this attachment that, for instance, people have with the number of days they've been sober. I mean, in AA, they give out medallions for uh, benchmark things. But my experience has been people with more time sober, um, they don't get, you know, it's not like, oh, man, it's been three years. They go, wow, if I screw up, I've blown three years. It's like they're banking sobriety. And the bigger the bank gets, as you point out, the more incentivized they are to continue building the bank. Yeah, there's a reward system there. There, there. There's there's something that they have achieved and they don't want to lose that. So any process, and that's the process your company would be involved in, working with the treatment community uh, helps people do that, helps them become really important, as we mentioned, stakeholders. Th- th- we're all in this together, Correct. We are. We are on this together, and if, and we need to um, collaborate to um, to partner with somebody who's going to do a peer recovery model to track outcomes, to get back to the insurance company. And, and you know, insurance companies are understanding. Um, we're moving toward value-based care now. It's not like you provide a detox, I, the insurance company, am going to give you $10,000. I'm going to pay you if you've done a good job managing this client. If you're keeping the client out of the emergency room, if you're keeping the client out of treatment time and time again, and if we're managing care correctly and providing the proper supports, these treatment centers are going to be centers of excellence. And then you can get online and the retreat, for example, can be a center of excellence and people know that the retreat is doing the right things for the right reasons and have really good outcomes. Well, that's their goal uh, for sure. Um, And it sounds like it's certainly your, your company's goal as well. Donna Pellegrino, uh, thanks so much. If people uh, if people want to find out more about uh, MAP Health Management, can they go? We have a really interesting website. <laughs> it is www.thisismap, M-A-P, thisismap.com. Terrific. Thanks uh, for joining us on Recovery Radio. Maybe we can have you back again. Thanks for having me. It would be great. And everybody, in, uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, please uh, look for us at Recovery Radio. Take care. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.